Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Discovery Edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. If you're new to our show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and we welcome you. And you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the Holodeck. Make sure you give us a rating and a review on iTunes, as it does help trigger algorithms that will then allow other people to find our show that much easier but we do need that assistance all right so in the studio today with me is ensign david sabal hello ensign how's it going everybody good to be back it does it does feel good to be back i wasn't quite sure if i was going to be ready or not for discovery (laughs) just because you know towards the end of the year we get very busy with lots of other shows and things that we break down and i was thinking that it might end up sapping my excitement for the show and as i pushed play when the episode dropped, I was very excited, and I immediately was pushed into my Star Trek fan zone. No matter how tired and worn out I may have been, it didn't matter, because I was excited with the new season of Discovery. Yeah, I was really surprised with the fact that in this episode, we actually got moments that took a while for Discovery to get to, you know, those Star Trek moments. And yeah. I was really surprised that they immediately just right out of the gate. Okay. We're going to make you feel like you're watching a Star Trek show. Finally, I'm going to, I want to say finally, cause they did have their moments, Dave. Like it was definitely, Oh yeah. No, no, no. But I mean like in the past seasons of discovery, the one thing that, I mean, we all have pretty much grown to know about discovery is they want to be the, a different type of Star Trek show. Yeah, and they should be. And they should be. Yeah. And like this is the this is for me, especially when you take into con- uh, contrast with the last season's premiere with uh, season three. Totally different vibe. You, uh, I truly felt like this is probably the 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 most Star Trek start to a season that I've seen for Discovery. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. You know, I'm going to go ahead and jump into that side of the pool with you. I'm I'm going to break critical professionalism right off the bat and just say from the beginning, this episode did feel right. I'm not quite sure why. Hopefully by the end of this discussion, we will have sorted through all the tidbits that make this episode feel right. And then we can hopefully derive some meaning from that. Well, the funny part is, is like I, I'm. Pretty much with you there is kind of like at first when I, because this took me about, I'd say, I think I was on viewing four and because like after the first viewing, I was like, oh, okay, that was a good, that was a good episode. And right. Something just was like, I'm like going, something just feels weird. And then by the view, third viewing, I'm like going, I think it's because when I compare it to how Discovery always starts off. Yeah. 
this is different. Like they're, I don't know if it's because the new showrunner, uh, I forgot her name actually. That's doing Michelle Paradise. Michelle Paradise yeah. is coming in, and we all know that Michelle Paradise has constantly touted that she she understands Star Trek and how Star Trek should feel. Yeah, I I I get what you're saying. I think it has a lot to do with the way they want to start every season off, all yeah. the way going back to the first season. They want to give it this, you know, for example, with the first season, it was just this epic beginning to a new series. We had a giant war between the Klingon, the Klingons and the Federation. Giorgio was killed by the end of the two part premiere. Burnham was sent off to prison. Uh, prison. It felt very different from anything we've seen before. And then after each, or I should say, and then with every subsequent season premiere, it felt like they were coming off the heels of a very big season finale and they were trying to uh, create a type of continuity between the season finale and premiere. And it just felt like they were once again being uh, thrown into the crew of our discovery into this epic scenario. And this episode allowed things to be a little smaller. We did have our big moments, but giving us those more intimate moments, the, it allowed the show to focus on what's most important. And that's our character as opposed to just simply action. Now the episode did have a lot of action. Yes. I'm not going to say it didn't. And we'll, we'll go through everything. So let's start with the synapses after months spent reconnecting the Federation with distant worlds. Captain, Captain Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery are sent to assist a damaged space station, a seemingly routine mission that reveals the existence of a terrifying new threat. Okay, let's let's uh, continue with our discussion on that opening teaser. It was a very strong opener, period. Yeah. The initial 10 minutes gave us a version of Burnham we have not quite seen before. Someone confident in her abilities while also slightly tempered you know aware that she's in charge this is a diplomatic mission i like the way the writer set up the re first contact with the al shane using the concept of i guess you could say the concept of socio miscommunication which is a big issue in relations with other governments and I'm talking, of course, in a real reality sense, that's already something that is a difficult process because every culture has different ways of saying things, different mannerisms mean different things, yes. body language, uh, all those things. That's where that saying came from, uh, culture shock, when someone's thrown into another culture and nothing they do resonates Resonates. or makes sense because it's a completely different culture. Everything is, is is represented differently. Yeah. And that's why I liked what they did here with this moment, because we've seen these types of things before implanted or embedded within Star Trek uh, narrative. So using the concept of socio miscommunication in a diplomatic context, it helps with reminding us that the Federation was built on a foundation of a type of multiculturalism. And when you are a part of a multicultural society, there are communication problems or can be communication problems. For instance, you know, you have the, uh, the implicit versus the explicit and the misunderstandings that originates from differing mental models. You know, our brains 
delete, misconstrue, and misinterpret according to filters, you know, biases, triggers, assumptions, beliefs, habits, mental models. Yeah, this is a little bit of a epistemology debate, but basically some mental models and reinforcing mental biases add to miscommunication. Yes. And that's exactly what happened in this episode. Humans, and I'm speaking from a, uh, from a grounded reality standpoint, humans create cultures to make sense of reality. Everyone is a part of various cultures and subcultures, which all influence the way we look at things and the paradigms we live in. And that's why the Al Shanes flip their shit. That's why it worked. It's interesting and intriguing. Uh, It's an interesting and intriguing reminder of the vastly differing cultures that are part of the Federation. And honestly, it's a relevant message for today's culture. It is. It is. And it it, it also harkens back to that vibe of like a TNG episode when we watch Picard having to be a diplomat to different races. And, you know, like, especially in this one, I, I actually got the vibes of, I was being reminded of the times when, you know, Picard had to wear these weird things and have to say certain things that didn't make sense to him, but it made sense to the, to the alien race he was talking to. And here, it was cool seeing Burnham go through that because like Burnham has, has no learning curve with that, with this. So She's always her, been good at everything. Yes. It, that's been some of our complaints with the show is that she's always number one. Exactly. She gets everything done the right way to see her struggle, struggle with, this, with this, this re first contact I thought was, which was a strong way to start the season. Yes. Yeah. Um, in the ways of execution as well, that opening 10 minutes, directing camera blocking there was this synergy between all of the different filmic conventions that are utilized to create an episode of tv or or film and it was beautifully put together to create this feeling of cohesive synergy it conveys the idea that this ship and her crew have finally got their shit together having burnham on the planet with book rice as acting first officer and sitting in the captain seat made me happy because it reminded me of the days of the original series when yeah. the original series and TNG when Scotty would take the seat when Spock and Kirk were off on the planet on or the planet. Yeah. Data would take the seat when Riker and Picard were off doing other things. We have not had moments. It's these little things that I know people may shrug and say that's so insignificant. And it is. But those are the little nuances that are so important to Star Trek. And it adds a synergy to the show that has been missing. And that's not a negative. I feel like the show, especially starting with the second season, has really worked hard to fix some of the issues from the first season in the way of character development because honestly the only characters that had any development for the first season was burnham saru and georgio three characters amongst a sea of characters which was unheard of when it comes to star trek shows because star trek has always been an ensemble ensemble cast cast, and since season two with the introduction of pike and the enterprise and spock and number one they found ways to flesh out these these uh, characters in ways that make sense and uh, and also scenarios that make it relatively simple to do so. And they continue to do that. And I feel like this is the moment. This episode felt like the moment 
that we have been working towards that we as fans have been wanting. And at least you and I, this is something we've been talking. We want to understand the hierarchy on board the fucking discovery because there is no hierarchy. Uh -uh. They, they, they had no captain since season one. Technically Pike was acting captain. Saru was acting captain. captain. Tilly was acting captain and fucked that thing up. So to have like an established hierarchy finally of the show feels right. It feels right. And that's why, you know, I'm glad you brought the term simple. You know, this episode seems simple, but there's some beauty about that that made yes. that really connected the Star Trek vibes really nicely with it because they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to just throw all of this stuff at us to get us engaged. They basically said, okay, we're just going to immediately reintroduce our main character who is Burnham. Yeah. She's the captain. Yep. So we'll reintroduce her really fast, introduce the the crew slowly as, as, uh, as the first 10 minutes go on because you get booked, you get Tilly, you get basically that interaction of basically, you know, especially when I think it was Tilly that was like actually asking them, are you guys being chased? <laughs> and I, I kind of got a good vibe of that. It felt it, very original series movie Trek. But it felt like didn't it, is, it felt like something Kirk and Spock would find themselves in that yes. type of scenario. That's why it was so fun. And it was so fun. But it also felt like, no, this is the Discovery crew. Yeah. I expect that from Tilly and her and her connection to Burnham. Well, they had their own little, you know, what, humorous quirks, you know, their own way of how they interact with each other. Yeah, for sure. Well, they have their own rapport. Rapport. As exactly. a crew. That's, that's very it. unique. And that's something Discovery has done very well, giving and, us a very distinct crew. And they did they they did that in the first 10 minutes really well and, and kept it simple Mm -hmm. and i think that's what i'm glad you brought the term simple because i don't want people thinking that simple's bad no simple is good simple is good and a lot of times actually especially since discovery is in their season four yeah they don't have to reinvent the wheel yeah just basically stick to you stick to what you're what you've established and just we'll we'll walk along with you now yeah, and I will say that this episode does feel like that. I keep saying the word classic, but that's not the right word. There, most Star Trek fans that have been around for a very long time, and we're excluding the original series because they're in their own category. But if you look at all the other Star Trek series, most of them struggle until the fourth season. Yeah. TNG found its feet after. Picard's assimilation, which was season four. Season four. Deep Space Nine found its feet when the Dominion War started to take hold of the Federation. And that started, for the most part, in season four with the debut of Worf as a main character on Deep Space Nine. That's right, yeah. Voyager found its feet after season four with the premiere or debut of Jerry Ryan's Seven of Nine. That's when the show really found itself. Now, I'm not saying these shows weren't good before that, but that's when the show definitively, the shows definitively found their feet. Yes. Let's look at Enterprise. Enterprise is a little too late. Enterprise did the exact same thing. The fourth season is probably the strongest season of the show. 
and it found itself, but it was too late. The network can't had canceled it prior. So hopefully we're going to see the exact same thing with discovery. It's a show that finally finds its groove. And honestly, everything is set in place for the show to find its groove. We're in our final setting. There's going to be no more time travel. There's no alternate realities. We're dealing with the immediate and now our characters can marinate in their setting and we can learn about the, the politics of the region uh, or, or I should say of the Federation space as it is now. As it is now. Yeah. So there's a lot going for this show and I feel like a lot of it was made clear with the premiere of this episode. Now, not all is well and not all is well within Camp Discovery. Yeah. As the title of the episode should clue you in which was titled the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> I was, and I will say I was really happy that basically that played into the episode. Yeah. It, sh- it should have made the theme of the episode quite evident. Uh, thematically, it works in tandem with the narrative, you know, throwing the crew into harm's way and facing a no win scenario when it comes to Burnham as a captain and using this theme as a springboard, the writers directly connect the initial parts of Burnham's arc from season four. And I will say I'm thankful that the writers are not forgetting Burnham's flaws. This is something we have droned on and on about throughout the last three seasons. We have said numerous times, flawed characters are the best. Exactly. They are the most interesting, but with Burnham, they seem to not want to go the distance. They start things off by showing that Burnham has things to work on, that she makes terrible decisions. But by the end of the season, we're supposed to accept that she knows what's best, even when it's obvious she's making bad decisions or emotional decisions. So based on how the season started this year, it looks like her emotions will be put under the microscope. And the good thing is it looks like they're using parts from her characterization to steer us into this territory. The new Federation president told Burnham. Yeah, President Rylak. Yeah, we'll talk about her in a second because she, she's great. Uh, told Burnham she's got to accept that there are things beyond her control. And she has this savior complex using the Kabayashi, the Kobayashi Maru as a point of reference Uh, The president made her case. You have to accept that there are no win situations that she needs to quit commanding from a place of personal need. Yes. She, she has to maintain objectivity and it looks like the writers are acknowledging something that we've been going on about since the start of discovery as the president of the Federation used those famous logical words, the needs of the many. Outweigh the needs of the few, which is exactly what we've been saying every time Burnham or Stamets lets their emotions get the best of themselves. And like, that's something that fl- frustrated the fuck out of me last year. Oh, yeah. Like, last shit is falling apart around them. And Stamets is obsessed with Yadira, Adira, Adira and Colbert. Like, dude, you have a responsibility to hundreds of other people, let alone the, the, the entire galaxy. You're a Federation officer. Now, not to say officers in our TV shows, Starfleet officers, have not made emotional decisions. They have. But they've always been used as a way to reflect an issue 
within that character that yeah. needs to be resolved. And that's that's why I liked that one line of relics to Burnham in the end when she says when she talks about Burnham's leadership type yeah. and she basically says you're like a wrecking ball. And I'm like going exactly. It's not the fact that basically Burnham doesn't understand about, you know, she can't save everybody, but the problem with Burnham is like she's so impulsive that she'll just do anything that she thinks is logical and try to actually, you know, excuse herself in the end, trying to make logic out of her own actions. Well, they use the idea of her trauma as the, as the root of as this root problem of that yeah. because she experienced trauma at such a young age that she now has this mentality that she needs to fix everything, that yes. she needs to be in control you know, this whole savior complex, which I, I love that you, we have never had problems with Burnham. Burnham is actually a great character, but the writers sometimes are afraid. You know, that term, uh, you shouldn't be afraid to kill your darlings. Yes. Basically. I mean, it's a little different, but I, I feel like that definition can still work in this scenario. The idea of killing your darlings is something that people used to say when it comes to a writer writing characters that are, that is now afraid to kill his characters. Yeah. Like, Oh, I love this character so much. Uh, uh, there's so much more I can do with them. So what happens is the story becomes stale and flat because the the writer is unwilling to take risk with those characters. You yes. have to be willing to kill your darlings. And it feels like at times the writer's, create this idea that Burnham is flawed and that she has issues, but they don't want to follow through with, it. they don't want to follow through with it. And that's what happened with last season. They, yeah. they build up this amazing story that we loved for Burnham all season until the end when all of her mistakes didn't matter. And she became captain. <laughs> We're like, wait a second. Where's the lesson? There was no lesson for her to learn. Also, it was like in contrast to Burnham in this episode and in the last episode. Yeah. You got to remember, Burnham was willing to sacrifice Stamets and just toss him out into space. <laughs> and yet she's not willing to uh, let this one commander who she doesn't even know die. And then she like thinks like it, the world ends. Yeah, well, but that's why I loved about the Relic conversation she yeah. had because Relic just pointed out, no, this your flaw isn't the fact that basically, you know. No, you're a good captain. You're a good but, captain. But. Your problem is the fact that you are so impulsive that you you don't think about your actions. You're a wrecking ball. I want to see this continue, and I'm hoping it's not just more the same where, hey, let's make sure people understand her flaws. And then at the end, it's not going to matter because Burnham's going to prove that she's right and you're wrong. And I don't like that because none of our characters, Captain McCard made horrible decisions at times. All the time. <laughs> he made decisions that you would look at like, oh, my God, I can't believe that was a bad decision. But at the end of the episode or movie, they would then point to the mistake he made. And there was a lesson to be learned yeah. for that character. They were willing to go the distance with Captain Kirk. Look at Captain Kirk. Uh, prejudice sentiments when he says, let them die. Yeah. How horrible when you think a hero of a franchise the writers were willing to have Captain Kirk tell Spock, let an entire species die. die. That is a dark 
and xenophobic thought. And yet it worked because at the end, there was a lesson for our character to learn. Exactly. And that's what they need to do with Burnham this season. They have to go the distance. They have to. They have to. And they, there, there has to be a point when Burnham is in the Kobayashi Maru setting and it can't be with some name unnamed commander that we don't even know. It has to be with someone that is close to her. I think someone's going to die. I, that's what I'm thinking. The season they, they, is like she has to, has to die. She has to. She has to be in that no win situation. She has to be in that. No that's win how this season needs to be bookended. They started off with that idea, and if they really want to give us an uh, an amazing season full of introspection for Burnham, they need for her to make a decision that ends with a character that she cares about dying. That's why I'm I'm really thinking that hopefully it Stamets. could be book. I oh, think it's book. No, not book. Because he, I'm I sorry, love that guy. They've been they've been they've been pushing Burnham and book as as yeah. a team since season three, and I'm like going, it's just cool that Burnham actually found someone in the future. But what does this do for the character of Burnham? Yeah, unless you're going to have something happen to book. Yeah. Because the the only other character that I could think of that is a no win in a no win situation that would affect Burnham in that way is Saru, Tilly, maybe Tilly. Oh, for sure, Tilly. Maybe Tilly, but definitely Book. Yeah. <laughs> and out of those three, if I were to bet, who's the most? Uh, who's the one that basically the writers are willing to actually depart with? It's probably Book. Yeah, don't touch Book. Don't touch my doctor. I fucking love <laughs> you. He's yeah. Don't don't mess with him, and don't mess with book. Everyone else is what is fair, fair game. Fair game. Don't mess with those two guys, though. Please. But, but apparently, in your in your in your list, Stamets is on the priority. <laughs> Stamets is number uno. <laughs> the whole season, you're going to be like anticipating: is this the time that he dies? Yeah, I I will. I listen. The only reason why I don't like the character is because he has always been written as a fucking diva. Yes. Uh, he he has this permanent face that is just always filled with some type of animosity or there's like a, a discontent about him. He just looks always unhappy. And maybe that's just the actor's face. I don't know. But he also is so emotional. So I'm hoping that the lessons that Burnham learns this season is dual serving. I hope they apply that same lesson to Stamets. Because look at the first thing he said as he's running through engineering in this episode. He's already doing it. Yeah. People are dying. A spacecraft just crashed in the hangar bay. You're being attacked. Your shields are being depleted. And... How's Adira? <laughs> How's Adira? <laughs> I know. I'm I like, know. come on, man. Can you imagine Jordy ever doing that? Or Scotty? Scotty's first priority is the fucking vessel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, all those times that Scotty basically says, you know, I know the ins and outs of this oh, ship. Oh, I bet you do, Scotty. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> and oh, I don't blame you. <laughs> so you get what I'm saying, though? Like, I'm oh. hoping Stamets also has to learn that lesson. He is the one. Remember, last season, I don't know if you remember, when we were doing our wrap-up, I said Stamets has to be turned into a villain. Oh. 
He has to be turned into a villain. I, I don't know because an obstacle maybe, but he, he just got tossed. <laughs> yes, we, we, we do have to deal with that, right? Like I'm not exactly. I'm not for problems within our crew. I feel like we we need to move past that, and we have. And I did cringe a little when that commander pulled a phaser on Tilly. I'm like, oh, are we really doing this again? <laughs> exactly. But I'm willing to to shrug and look the other way when it comes to that, only because the Federation has been so broken at this point that maybe some of the ideals have changed. Have changed. It's not quite as it's not at the forefront of everyone's mind because no. these are completely different individuals that, that grew up at a different time a when different it was time. about survival. Exactly. So I'm okay with that, but I'm hoping to see some changes as well. So let, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's smooth out some of those things. But overall, I will say I'm very happy with what they did and the potential direction they are taking with Burnham because they are not negating or ignoring her mistake. They are using them to create consistency across the last four seasons. Now, the president's vision was more than just a tick of a box. But to see Michael in action, this is another scenario that's interesting. And I have a very specific theory as to why this, this was even mentioned. So the president wanted to be on board Discovery, not to challenge Burnham's captaincy but to see how she handles certain things the no-win situation if you will yeah and at the end she comes to the conclusion that burnham is not ready and ready for what for one of the newer fancier ships coming out of archer space dock and it's a voyager and it's a voyager class now david saw Rue is going to be the captain of that ship. <laughs> you think? Why do you, why do you mention it? There's no reason to mention uh, a ship specifically in an episode like this. Saw that is true. Rice is second in command. Is that how you say his name? Rice? Yeah. Yeah. Rice, Rice is in second command. Yeah. Obviously they can bump him and put Saru in there. But honestly, if Saru's captain material, he shouldn't yeah. be a first officer. Think about it. I have a feeling we're going to get exactly what I said. I was hoping we would get. Do you remember off season? We were talking during our news discussions that I said, why can't discovery turn into a multi ship series? Yes. We have never had a series that had multiple ships involved except for deep space nine during the war years. When, yeah, we, but- when we had Martok's ship and we had Romulan ships and we, we had, had Federation Defiant. ships. And we had the Defiant. So if we were to start introducing new ongoing, let's just call them guest ships, just like guest spots, guest ships. I feel like it's something we've never done. They kind of did it in movies with um, Sulu becoming a captain and yeah. being in charge of the USS Excelsior. Excelsior, yep. So I feel like it would make a lot of sense on multiple levels if you just give, just give Saru the captaincy the captaincy, is that the word of give him the captain responsibility of the new Voyager. And if we do see this new Voyager, there will be major hell to pay. If the hologram doctor, <laughs> I was waiting for that. 
is not <laughs> a part of the ship. That's why I was like, can we go into the Voyager ship now, please? Because I want to see the inside of that ship and I want to see the med bay. <laughs> Robert Picardo better. <laughs> if we see Voyager and there's no Robert Picardo as the doctor. It's not the Voyager. <laughs> it's a missed opportunity because he's a character that transcends space and time. Yeah. He's a hologram. He's a hologram. It, it, it doesn't even have to be the doctor. It could just be Robert Picardo. It could be a variation. A variation. Maybe as a way to uh, memorialize the important part that this character, or I should say this officer, played on board the Voyager during the time that they were lost in space. Yeah. And, like, it'd be hilarious if, like, maybe his bedside manner is better. <laughs> Listen, I think they should just go the distance and give us... The doctor, doctor from Give Voyager. Give it the doctor, doctor. <laughs> he, he, and it's true. He transcends space and time because I'm he's a doctor, a not a time traveler. He's, like, he's, he's going to say it. Watch. And like, I really, really would love to see that, especially when I don't know if it was meant to kind of like give this Star Trek synergy by giving number one, the Archer space dock. Okay. You tie it to the very first enterprise. And then you have the Voyager class, which is technically the last starship we've ever saw in a Star Trek series. Because Voyager was the last one. Yeah. Unless they were just doing it like that to give it that weird Star Trek synergy. But I think it would be a <coughs> missed opportunity, like you said, if we don't dive into the fact that we can have a brand new Voyager ship. It, it needs to be done. It does. That's all. That's all I have to say. Give us dual ships. Please make it happen. The only problem is, is like, I don't know if your idea of Saru is going to happen. You shut up. Dude. I don't, I, I don't know because I'm sorry, Mike. Don't. I uh, don't. I, I think he's going to stay on planet with Sukal. No, he's not. Okay. <laughs> you know, his heart. <laughs> and I'm sorry that, that would, that this part in the episode made me chuckle. Yeah. His heart may miss his friends. But Saru apparently has this responsibility to his people. Yeah. Whatever. So <laughs> Saru and Sakal, let's talk about them. So number one, the Kaminar production and art design is completely Ooh. fantastic. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. Simply gorgeous design. And interestingly, now that we are roughly a thousand years into the future, we see a united Kaminar where... There are no prey species, but an interspecies council that almost resembles the Vulcan in tone. Yeah. Uh, a, few, uh, a few key words were used in the episode when it pertained or as it pertained to the Kaminar. And it was the word balance. That word was thrown out a couple times. I'm, I don't believe we've heard that terminology before in relation to the Kaminar uh, people. But I do like the idea of balance being used to govern their society because it yeah. feels harmonious with yeah. the concept of an ecosystem that lives in peace and a, and um, and it adopts well with the former concept of prey and predator. Yeah, there's that a dynamic. There's yeah. a synergy to it because like, and I like the fact that it took them a thousand years. It took them a thousand years for the Ba'ul. God, the Ba'ul is so fucking and, cool. And the Kaminoans are, are, are... Yeah. The Ka is it? No, no, no. That's their uh, planet. The, that, the, how do you say their species? The Kelpians. There we go. Yeah. Uh, the 
but it took them I just thousand, a I, thousand years to actually create this synergy so that they're not fighting anymore. Yeah, I think it's amazing looking. I'm hoping we don't. I don't mind us. We need to take Saru back. That's that's something that needs to happen, and it's going to happen. I'm sure that's what they were alluding to but with man, that discussion. He, he needs to watch his friends. Hey, hey, he doesn't talk like that no more, Dave. He's grown. He's grown up. Have you so? Did you notice that? Apparently, you can get rid of speech problems in three months. <laughs> exactly. I was cracking up at that. I'm like, oh, they probably realized. They probably listened to our podcast, as we know some Star Trek producers and writers do and they're probably like you know what that doesn't make sense why does he have a baby (laughs) voice when he's been raised by adult holograms and it took just three months to fix him (laughs) dude Sakal lost his stupid baby voice thankfully and also Sakal the worst plot device in human history (laughs) I I really do I really think Sakal that reveal is what killed season three for me but mike it's such a great season and it's so anticlimactic a crying baby shattered the universe yes i keep digging for the metaphor (laughs) i keep digging for the potential allegory yeah so but the scary thing is they they actually made forward progression to actually fix your call i don't want to live in the past and you're right they did they absolutely did, and I, he didn't annoy me, and I was so I was so thankful. He was normal. They, <laughs> I still don't co-sign on the whole. I'm gonna leave the discovery to help this boy when Saru willingly left his sister not once but twice. twice. <laughs> but something about Sakul makes him suddenly realize he has a responsibility to his species. It, I never, it was weak motivation and they did it so they can make Burnham captain. That was one of our biggest problems. Pretty you much. literally made a decision that didn't make sense so that you can then move your lead character into the captain's seat. And I had no problem with her becoming the captain. It's just the way they did it felt very weak. It, and that had everything to do with that horrible reveal of Sakal. Now, now, as as I was saying, yeah, let's be I positive. Would, I would love to see Saru take take up the mantle of being the captain of the Voyager. I think it's Voyager J. Yeah, and that would be perfect. You would fix the whole problem that we had last season. Yeah. However, I want to throw a monkey wrench in your plan oh, because no. I honestly think Burnham will take reins of the Voyager class. Because there's one thing that still is unexplained, and it's we all know Calypso still happens. The ship disappears somehow. That's true. So the whole crew leaves Discovery somewhere. Yeah, that is true. But also that can literally happen at any point. At any point. It can happen at any point. Because it was so far into the future, right? Yes. But like it for me. It just makes more sense if they were just to answer that finally and basically, yeah. you know, Burnham gets a shiny new ship. <laughs> I'm okay with that too. Either way works for me. They had showed, didn't they show one of our characters? I always forget his name, not Rice, but the other gentleman that's in the background. Um, oh. Didn't they have him mention that he's been working temporarily on another ship? I th- I'm, I think I know what you're talking I'm about. I'm pretty sure they, he, they, they, 
said that in the episode. They showed him. He said something to a new officer that we've never seen before. That's right. We get introduced to the new yeah. officer of the team. Yeah. So we get the idea that he's been on another ship. So they are intermingling and moving people around, officers around. So who knows? We may get Burnham as the captain of the new Voyager, and that's fine, too. Yeah. I feel like this show could be much bigger than simply one ship. Obviously, the discovery needs to be at the center because the show is named after the vessel. But, uh, but they could do different things. But they could do sure. different things, especially yeah. since, like in, in this particular past past season, and with this, we've introduced the fact that Book has his own ship that he uses alongside him. That's everybody. a gangster ship too. I and want it's a that badass ship. It's such a cool ship. The whole design. All right, so the progress of the Federation of Starfleet over the last several months was also a big part of the episode. Starfleet will be, drumroll please, will be reinstating their main purpose of space exploration, which is a necessity. Starfleet Academy has reopened. Archer Space Dock will be a thing. And how awesome was it that they gave us the Enterprise theme as they showed Archer Space Archer Dock? Space Dock, and yeah. it was the real theme that they used at the <laughs> no, end like, of the credit sequence. No, no, they needed to play the actual theme. <laughs> what theme, David? <laughs> because it's been a long time, Mike. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, everyone says that that final Archer theme. Exactly. This. They didn't use this, this one, David. This is the true theme. No. The, the true theme why is the, the ending during the credits. Why do the, all, this is a bullshit you, 90s all riff. You, all you Star Trek fans are denying the fact that this is the true theme to Enterprise. It's not Archer's theme. This is Archer's theme. Okay, ready? Here we go. And we're not gonna hold me down no more. Put your no, lighters up. Gonna change my mind. Everybody now, ready? <laughs> Can you imagine someone actually did an edit because I saw it earlier? <laughs> yeah. And instead of Ar- uh, Archer's, what's called Archer's theme in uh in in the scene, mm-hmm. some fan actually put that. <laughs> Shut and up! I Are was you like serious? cracking up. I'm like, going, yes, this makes the scene so much better for me now because All it's right, one so of those things. Here, that here's the real one. This is the real Enterprise theme no, because that other bullshit '90s, whatever the fuck that was, that was simply a way to bring in new audiences because those were the types of songs that were being used at oh, that time yeah, during that time for TV 90s. shows. And the real Star Trek Enterprise theme is this one. And it was only played during the credits at the end of the episode. Yes. And this is what they used when they gave us the reveal of Archer Space Space Dock. And and in all seriousness, I thought that was a cool touch. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I got super giddy. It's one of those things that I, I feel that Enterprise does not get enough yeah. Love in the Star Trek universe and no, seeing them all. do that made me happy. Yeah. You know what made me would make me more happy than What's Rick? that? What's that? If they just played the real thing. Now, <laughs> what's, what's, what's real one? Because, <laughs> Mike, that theme just makes me so happy every time I hear it because. Makes you happy? It makes me happy. You know, it, it's. I it, think you need more things in your life to make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> because, Mike, this. 
this song is everything that the Federation wants to be. Really? <laughs> what Federation is this? <laughs> See, this one was okay, but then they changed it in the second season <laughs> to a more Western twang, yeah. and that one was even worse. <laughs> like, what are you I doing? I remember that. I was like, going, what did this become like a Western? They're going for a country music <laughs> television award. All right. So lastly, when it comes to the, the Federation and Starfleet, they also, as we had mentioned numerous times already, there's a new president for the Federation, uh, Lara Relic. How do you say it? Relic. Now, interesting. She's had to look this up because I wasn't sure. I knew she was Cardassian, but she didn't look full Cardassian. Yeah. She is half Bajoran. No, no, not half. She is Bajoran Cardassian human. Human. Yeah. And the reason why I like this is because I am so anxious to learn about this era's political landscape. What does it look like? What are the Cardassians doing that they finally... Uh, shed their authoritarian um, suspicious militaristic ways and join the fold of society did they finally truly make peace with Bajor under the leadership of the new Cardassia if you remember how Deep Space Nine ended it gave you this idea that things were going to change with the way they viewed Bajor and the people of, of Bajor so I want to learn that's the things I want to learn in this show this yeah. season and I know that's a Star Trek baby want, but listen, we're allowed a couple of them. And the only Star Trek baby want that I need to have this year, I want to learn more about the social political landscape and just the, the cultures of oh, yeah. the Federation now. Give us give us some stuff on Ferengi. Like, what happened? Did Ferenginar finally uh, dismantle their capitalist ways or are they even more or money even hungry? more money hungry yeah i, because I would like, like to touch on that a bit yeah especially with a lot of like the I, I will say this the last season i was really excited that discovery decided to actually start showing some of the more alien races that we're familiar with and seeing them how they quote unquote evolved within like a thousand years right and this season, I will. I want them to fully dive in. That's why I was really we excited. Need, I think we need to. I was really excited with this new character because, like President Rylak, being half being human, Bajor and Cardassian, Cardassian, yeah, that's a mix of like species that you're like going. You would never imagine yeah. that. What well, makes you wonder what happened? Obviously, if this woman is. Majoran Cardassian human, and she's the president of the Federation. Federation. Then you got to think that at some point these two cult or these three cultures made true peace. Exactly, and imagine as a Deep Space Nine fan coming to the realization that that happened. That's a lot. To, and also, to, where's the wormhole? <laughs> no, I do not want Discovery delving into anything Deep Space. Space Nine related. You don't want them to ruin. I, I just leave that precious gem alone. They've already, you. They, you know, Bacard destroyed Seven of Nine, turned her from turned her from this super intelligent, capable scientist who was inquisitive to Sarah Connor with a chip on her shoulder. Yes, 
And I'm telling you, dude, don't just leave our classic characters alone. I'm one of those Star Trek fans that don't want that. Like, you know, the, a yeah. lot of Star Trek fans. Oh, I want to see this character and this character. Oh, no. And listen, the Star Trek fan in me. Sure. I do want those things at times, but the realist in me knows that they're not probably not going to do it right. Yeah. They're not going to get it right. So just leave them alone and establish new characters that we can rally behind and love. And I, I think. I'm seeing more people. Except for Dr. Picardo's hologram doctor. Because <laughs> you can't mess that up. You got to have that in the Voyager. And yes, but please. You, I've been noticing that just recently is like a lot of Star Trek fans are like saying, no, we don't want to yeah. see our our legacy characters anymore. Oh, okay. Just leave them be. Let leave them alone, will you? And dude, the one person that is like on everyone's like top 10 uh, favorite Star Trek character you do not want to see them come back to. Number one is Cisco. Yeah, leave Cisco alone. Don't. And I'm like, going, that's way too. But that's the biggest mystery in Star Trek, though. No, what not, happened to no, him? We already know what happened. He became <laughs> one with the prophets. Leave it alone. No, no. He said he would come back. Listen, unless Ronald D. Moore and Iris Stephen Burke come together. And do it themselves. I don't want it touched. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for the most part, the episode functioned fairly similar to early Trek series, you know, while still maintaining the serial vibe, but also giving us an away mission, a rescue op, and then the hook of the season, which of course is the beginning of the myth arc, which is the destruction of books, homeworld, by this gravitational distortion. It all works to get the season going. Yes. I have no complaints. Now, just a few tidbits here. The Al Shane, the alien species from the beginning, which again, gorgeous production design, that entire opening 10 minutes. We have never seen them before. They're no, we haven't. They're brand new. Unless you you're thinking that it's an evolution of a no, no, prior species? No, 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 no. Okay, so they're considered non-canon until now. The Alshane, they were a species, David, but not, but not on real Star Trek. They were a species that was created by Dark Ush. They are featured in the Dark Territory, Star Trek, Gibraltar, Star Trek, The Independence, and Star Trek Sutherland fan fiction series. Are you serious? So somebody got lucky. Some some fan series writer out there, some fanfic writer, just got his rocks off knowing that one of his characters he created is now a part of Star Trek canon. And I did verify this. I went to the Star Trek wikis. There is no mention of the Alshane on the canon side of things. They still have it updated as of the time of recording because now it will be listed on the canon side. However, it is within the expanded universe side under non-canon. Yep. So interesting, right? To see that these characters were were (laughs) created by a fanfic writer. That's pretty awesome, though. That is pretty awesome. And believe it or not, this isn't the first time Star Trek has done this. They've done this before. In fact... This is a little different. Uh, the f- seasons three and season four of Star Trek Enterprise. The reason why they got better was because they got rid of the other writers and they brought on essentially fans of Star Trek to write. They were novelists that wrote strictly novels for Star Trek. They were brought on to executive produce and help with the writing. 
And obviously you can tell because the shift from season two to season three was like night and day. Yes. So, hey, listen, that's a I'm not usually a fan of fanfic fanfic writers. I typically think they're not very great, but obviously this is um, a, this bit is, of, a bit of validation. Yeah, this is this is a bit of this can be used as an example. Why? Why fanfic writers can actually write for their favorite franchise. Well, David, if this is a thing now, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to work tonight on some <laughs> fan fiction of my own. And I'm thinking of putting myself in my story and I'm going to be Captain Michael and I'm going to be the command of some vessel, whatever. And uh, seven and nine finds her way on board. <laughs> seven and nine finds her way on board just yeah. randomly. And we, you know, one thing leads to another. We, we make love. Well, no, why don't you just take, and, it, uh, take, take it further? Just go to Paul. To Paul, you okay. could actually do okay. anything. So to Paul pops in and seven and nine and we all make love. And through this <laughs> weird type of sex, interspecies, sex, Borg, Vulcan, human, we have a, a love child. And that child is some odd alien species that then is turned to canon in the next season of Discovery. Then Thank you, you. Can find out that this whole entire thing in the very end was just Guinan watching you oh, from why? the basis. Why do you always got to ruin my, this is my fan fiction right now. <laughs> do not insert your own bullshit into my fan fiction. So dumb. All right. So what else do we have here? We're pretty much done with our discussion. Interestingly, this was the first time two episodes of separate Star Trek series were released at the same time because we did have the new episode of Prodigy released Prodigy. on the exact same day as Discovery. And the last time this happened, Dave, was May 26, 1999, when East Space Nine was airing and Voyager. Yes. And you know what was actually really cool? If you actually watched this episode and the Prodigy episode... I did pick out like a very similar theme between both episodes. Really? And I was really surprised that basically both episodes dealed with the Federation with trying them. or dealt with yeah. the Federation finding a different way of fuel for their starships. Yeah. Because if you go to the Prodigy, now yeah. we'll talk about it in the Prodigy thing. Spoilers, Dave. Exactly. What if people didn't watch yet? The the ship and the the protostar deals with a different type of fuel than dilithium. Yeah. So I thought that was actually I don't know if that was by design. Is it a coincidence? Or is it a coincidence? Or was it? We shall see. All right, Dave. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I did have a list of fan theories that was put out by a few sites and you know how those are those are usually hit or miss sometimes they're good but more often than not they're completely garbage theories that don't really make a lot of sense and the theories equate less to uh you know speculation and yes. more with what i was just spouting off fan fiction with me to paul at seven nine it just feels like something you want to happen do we have time to go through this? I don't. I you see, know what? I think we do. Let's go through it really quick uh, with no discussion. We'll just go through the, the different aspects. Okay. Okay. All right. So they have some theories as to what, let's see, starter discovery, eight gravitational anomaly theories. Now this was posted based on just the trailer before the actual episode was released. Star Trek fans out there were already getting the, the, the wheels turning. So number one theory. 
the Nexus. <laughs> I don't know if I could, could even entertain that idea. It would be interesting, but I'm still trying to figure out. I don't think the Nexus, the Nexus wave would destroy hey, planets. You might get your Guinan. Oh, no, that's true. Number two, the Super Sense from Picard Season 1. Can we pretend that doesn't exist? <laughs> oh, my God, they're coming through. Oh, it was closed. Anticlimactic. <laughs> Number three, a Graviton Ellipse, which was from Voyager. Yeah, that's actually a good one. Number four, the Sphere Builders from Enterprise. If you remember the Adelphic Expanse. Okay. I had a lot to do with the Temporal War and future time travel, which might fit with the show here. It actually might. Yeah, that's a good one. Number five, Tyken's Rift from TNG. Really? Yeah, I don't I don't see that one at all. Number six, and this would be kind of cool, Species 8472 and Fluidic Space. Number seven, the Borg. I, I don't know. Part of me wants to learn about future Borg. Like, what have they been up to? Have they advanced? Have they died out? But the other part of me is like, oh, we got to move on from the Borg. Yeah, we got to move on yeah, from the gotta. Borg. And there's so much worth a thousand years in the future. We should be delving into completely new ideas. So, yeah, like the ability to, I, I believe from what we saw in the end, end scene in Discovery was book's planet was physically moved and i don't think that that's it it was moved then they found it and it was destroyed and it was destroyed yeah so number eight is the burn they're saying the burn did something another child cried in the distance it's sakul's child (laughs) sakul is a child and he wasn't aware and then he cried out for sakul because sakul left him it's a vicious cycle it's a vicious cycle (laughs) What an awful. Oh my God. That would be awful. Yeah, I hope. No, it can't be the burn. No, it's not. But I, I, I am intrigued. I am. And I will say, Dave, I'm very happy with, with the season opener. I have been very cautious since Picard season one. And also with the way discovery ended I, I, the last two episodes, because the first 10 episodes of season three were great. We loved it. It's just the, they need to land. They need to learn <laughs> need to, to land. land. Yeah. You know, let's, let's make sure we let the landing gear out. We don't need to scrape the belly of the plane all over the rocks or the terrain. Let the landing gear out Have a smooth landing. So I'm hoping we do that. So Dave, I'm going to give this episode an 88% for the season four premiere. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm around the same score as you. I gave this, gave this one an 87. Um, <clears throat> really good start to a season but as i said it just left me with a lot of questions now like i'm but that's I'm, that's good questions it's though. good questions but it's also i'm very i'm approaching it very tepid right now because of just of how we got left off in the last season is like okay burnham just got dumped into the captain's chair you got to make something out of it and it looks like they're heading in that direction and i hope that basically every single idea and theory that me and you have stated in this episode comes to fruition because they got to actually learn how to stick their landing. They really do because except for season two, they have kind of screwed up their finale every season. Well, if you think about it, the season two finale was basically just a to be continued. Yeah. And maybe that's what they need to do. <laughs> Another to be continued. Yeah. 
I will say, David, and tell me if you disagree, but is Burnham getting more and more attractive as the seasons go by? Because she, she, I like her hairstyle. I don't know what it is. Maybe I just like long hair. I don't know. Maybe I'm a dude douche and I prefer <laughs> long hair. I don't know. But I thought she was attractive, even with the the masculine uniform that they're putting on these women. You know what? There is some validity to it. However, you know. Can you imagine what happens when her and Book are having sex? The amount of effort it takes <laughs> to dig through her clothes. Oh, hold on, Burnham. I'm, I'm about to ravage you. Oh, hold on. I got to let burst me take your off this belt. Let me unbutton these exactly. 20 buttons. Not to burst your belt, uh, Mike. Me, take that jacket off. Let me, oh, that's the first layer. Okay, the second layer, the third layer. And finally, when I get down to the fifth layer, I finally see her naked. <laughs> I, I'm just. Don't want to burst your bubble, yeah. but the same sexiness feel that I get from Burnham, I get from Guinan. It's not even the same, David. <laughs> it is. That's that's it's, racist affiliation no, because no. they're both black. Because you, you want to find of a out bitch. what's underneath that gown. Oh, okay. So the many layers. layers. No, it's, so it's not, the layers, not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> it's like a it's no, a match present. No, no. One is one is like wanting to ravage <laughs> the layers of the children of the corn, and the other is and like the other is like to find the secret of going the through a hot Amish girl who <laughs> is budding with sexuality and she's just waiting for you to help unleash it like that's burnham <laughs> i thought that was guy no, because what, you know no, it's what, like fighting the nexus i'm gonna go over there and throw something at you it's like they're fighting the nexus <laughs> what a sick bastard i hate you you're not my friend and i'm kicking you off this show all right this does bring us to the end of our discussion i want to thank everyone for listening and please head over to our patreon page we have tons of things going on over there Patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. You pledge $5 or more a month, you'll gain access to our behind the scenes tier where you will be able to listen to all of our uh, behind the scenes shows, which are our pre shows. We do one before every single discussion. We get into different relevant Star Trek topics that we may not have time to get into during our regular discussion or, you know, latest breaking Star Trek news. We get into it. Uh, we also have the uh, podcast here. That's also a part of that $5 option and you gain access to hundreds and hundreds of hours of additional full podcast episodes we've done on, on various Star Trek topics. And we are continuing to add more every single month. So please patreon.com slash Rainman digital pledge. Help us stay on the air. It's really the only way we can make money and we do need that assistance because listen, we need to, need to pay some bills you see this equipment behind me there's a lot a lot of costs a lot of costs we need to upgrade the uh, starship yes we do all right let's bring us to yeah it's i'm done i'm losing (laughs) my uh my ability to speak okay thank you everyone thank you live long and prosper i couldn't help but notice your pain my pain it runs deep share it with me end simulation